Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Mark chapter 2. And when he, Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so there was no more room, not even at the door. He was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let him down on the bed which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sons are forgiven, or to say, Rise and take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose immediately and picked up his bed, and he went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. You may be seated. My name is Stephen. I have the privilege to be on the teaching team here at Hill City. And um, I just hope you're ready for a feast this morning. God, God gave us a text this morning that's awesome. I'm going to tell you, we just read through it, but we're going to get there. Let's just jump right in. Verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported. I like to say word got around. Jesus was becoming famous. That he was at home. And really, up here on the slide, sorry it's going to be smaller today. We had some technical difficulties. Listen, shout out to all the people running everything, Jarrell and his worship team, because it could have gotten crazy this morning, and they pulled it together. And you're going to see this from weeks to come, because we want you to be familiar with at least the Holy Land and what's going on. So up around the Sea of Galilee, on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee, you have Capernaum. And this morning it's going to be a little bit important because he's going to go to what they call the next towns and he's going to start preaching there too. And so if you would just familiarize yourself a little bit with the Holy Land, it's important to know. This is, this is the context. So Capernaum, he came back to Capernaum in verse 1. What, what's he been doing? So a little bit of a review. The first time in Gospel of Mark that Jesus heals somebody miraculously, this is, this is the the uh, conclusion to that story. And you know how Brad's been telling you to, hey, take it and put it in your back pocket? Here it is. And they were all amazed. They were all amazed. Like this and just like, oh, yeah, that was kind of neat. Oh, yeah, that was kind of... No, they were amazed. Put it in your back pocket. So that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Now listen, he's getting famous. 
And it's going to come to the text today where I don't know what it would be for us. He's blowing up on Twitter, right? So back then, you've got the shepherds going out in the field. Hey, did you hear? You've got the fishermen going, hey, the, hey, did you hear? You've got the women going to the well to get water to run their house. and their, did you, Can you believe it? Can, he's starting to get famous. Some people are going to really like it. Some people are going to be like, eh. Some people are going to really, really hate it. He, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And going on down in chapter 1, verses 32 and 33, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he gets so famous, he has to leave. Throngs of people. And so he goes to what they call the next towns in verses 38 and 39. And he said to them, let us go to the, on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For this is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And in verse 45, when he heals the leper, but he, the leper, went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news. Ring a bell? What's Brad been telling us that the word gospel is? It's the good news. He's been going and spreading the gospel because he just got healed. Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. And that's what introduces us into chapter 2. That's why when he comes back to Capernaum, it's been an extended leave because he's so famous. Everybody wants to hear him teach. Everybody wants to see him do miracles. Listen, every single person in here, if Jesus was doing this today, we wouldn't be here this morning. We'd be like, where's Jesus? What's he doing? What's going on today? What's going on? Right? absolutely enthralled with what's going on. The thing about God in the Bible and Jesus here is that he acts and then everyone else reacts. So there's an action by God in creation and then his creation reacts to him. God is always the one acting and we are the ones reacting to him. We're responding to him. He's creating the action. So in this story today, as we walk through it, I want you just to, I'll point out the things that Jesus is doing and how people are responding to him. It's always like that. He creates the action his presence, his word, his authority, his healing, his fame, they all demand a reaction. They all demand a response. You can't just ignore it. He's doing things that are so grand, so big, that you have to respond. And last week, Brad told you it was, the response was two ways. That when it comes to Jesus and his authority, the authority of God, that we respond in one of two ways. We're either thrilled, but oh so many times, speaking from experience, maybe one or two of you out there that can relate, we feel threatened. Why do we feel so threatened? I believe the major reason is we just like to do what we like to do. Anyone else? Anyone else like to, to not read Proverbs and go, well, if I have the information, I'm a little accountable to that. Anybody else like to just go, well, I tell you what, Jesus, thanks for your salvation. I've got it from here. Anyone else? So much of our Christian life is warring against that notion. Hey, Jesus, thanks for salvation. I got it from here. Because his authority says, no, 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 I bought you. You're mine. Follow me. 
Are you thrilled or are you threatened by his authority? It's a reaction. It's a response to him. Listen, Jesus by now has established a reputation of having supernatural power. That means authority over the natural world. And listen, I don't know if you realize this, but we live in a world that worships the natural. We, in our heart, we tend to worship the creation rather than the creator. We love our reasoning is creation. It's not the creator. We love to trust in our reasoning. We love to just walk by sight instead of by faith. We love to say, I'm not going to believe it unless I can see it. Well, if you go to Hebrews, there's a problem. Faith isn't necessarily like that. Listen, all of the world now teaches naturalism, materialism. It's absolutely anti what Jesus taught. He had power and authority over all of the natural world. And it's just amazing to watch the reaction of people. How could you not have just been enthralled and go, okay, you're God. But the sinfulness of man, the same sin that's in us, looked at him at times and goes, yeah, we don't want anybody that. In fact, we're going to kill you. He starts to do miracles, this, this power over the natural world. And listen, the reaction today that we're going to look at, there's four people kind of in the story, peoples in the story, right? Number one, you've got the observers. They're just the crowd. Listen, do you understand that Jesus, up until when he went to the cross, had people follow him that were still neutral? They're like, oh, this is really cool. I don't think I can totally surrender my life to him. People followed him all the way to the cross and then turned around. Because they thought, eh, it's getting too risky. I would propose that today, in the United States and all around the world, there's people that sit in church. And they follow him all the way. They're just interested. They're just observers. They're just part of the crowd. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to fully surrender to that. And let me just tell you, fully surrendering is salvation. That's what God brings you to. So we've got the observers, the crowd, and we have the paralytic. And this is just a guy that's on for the ride. I mean, you just, you, you see, you read the story and it's so good. Because listen, he doesn't know what's going to happen this day. The faithful four. The four that decided, hey, let's go get this guy and bring him to Jesus. And then you have the opposers, the people that were opposed to what Jesus was doing. And in verse 2, it says, And many were gathered together, so there was no more room, not even at the door. That's the reaction. Jesus enters the town. The reaction is, let's go see him. So Jesus' next action is this. In verse 2, the second part, and he was preaching the word to them. No, huh, I wonder what he was preaching. It's very, very simple. If you go back up into chapter 1, I know exactly what he would have been talking about. In chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, it says, Now after John was arrested, John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel, the good news. That's what gospel means, the good news of God. Now listen, had he died yet, it's not the same gospel that we think of. Think of it as good news. It's the good news of God. What is that? He says it after this. He says, and saying, the time is fulfilled, 
Like, do you understand that God, in all of his wisdom, knew exactly when to put Christ on the scene? Now, listen, I can't go into it this morning, but this is amazing. For those of you that love history, it was the exact time that the Romans had made roads all over the world. If you look at all the technological advances, he put Jesus just at the right time so that 30 years later the gospel would be all over the world. God knows what he's doing. But at that time, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. What does that mean? He said, God showed up. God wants to reign on earth. I've been reigning in heaven. I'm ready to reign on earth. That's the kingdom of God. And it says, repent and believe in this gospel. So at this point, what's he asking them to believe? He's asking them to believe, I'm here on earth. God showed up. You're going to see awesome things. And so they're like, okay, this is what he would have been in the house teaching them. But more than that, how many of you have ever heard the Sermon on the Mount referred to as like the manifesto of the kingdom? Like it's a whole new way to live. Like we're supposed to love our neighbors. We're supposed to do this. What? Like he's absolutely countercultural teaching. That's what he would have been teaching inside that house. He would have been preaching the word to them, the good news of the kingdom. Hey, God is here. I'm God. Listen, I'm going to tell you later on in this sermon too. There are people that say, Jesus never claimed to be God. They've never read the Gospels. The Gospel writers, absolutely, Jesus claimed to be God so many times, and he does in this text today. He would have been teaching, I'm God. There is a new time that God is working on earth. Absolutely amazing. And the miracles that he was doing, they authenticated The kingdom of God was at hand. They authenticated that God was doing something on earth that was special. The miracles validated his authority as Jesus, God, and king. So what would their reaction have been to the word? And they came, bringing to him a paralytic, in verses 3 and 4, carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and they had made an opening, and they let down the bed, on which the paralytic lay. Let me, let me tell you something. There wasn't anything that this paralytic man could have done that day to have gotten to Jesus. There wasn't. He couldn't walk. You think even if he could walk, that he might have been in the small percentage that got in the house or the even larger percentage that got near the door? He couldn't have done it on his own. He couldn't. He needed some people to come alongside him And get him to Jesus. The faithful four, they were so focused on getting this man to Jesus. That's what their focus was. They woke up that day, and I don't know what their intentions were, but I know one thing. If they did what they did, they woke up thinking, I hope there's an opportunity today to bring someone to Jesus. Listen, if you're newer to Hill City... Maybe you haven't been here as we've stated our mission statement. It's so easy together. This is, this is what we're all about. You're like, okay, give us the, the, the base minimum, the, the structure of Hill City. Together, we love God, we love others, and we make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's it. You know what's happening in this story today? There's four people that understood that mission. They were going to love God. Love others, the paralytic, and they're like, we're just going to bring him to Jesus and sit him at his feet so they can be a disciple. We have to do three things. We have to see opportunities over obstacles. 
Now listen, I'm going to be honest with you. If I'm one of these four guys, I probably that morning would have been tempted to find some better stuff to do. I'm just too busy. I've got this going on. I've got... But when we start to see opportunities instead of obstacles, do you know how many people are going to be there? There's no way we're even going to get a ticket. It's like a Taylor Swift concert. How can you get in? It's all prearranged anyway. The elite are the ones that get in. Why even try? Well, you know that if we can't get in, well, what other options are there? And I can't even imagine the one guy, because you know the logistical guy in the group is like, hmm, I've got an idea. And they're like, you're crazy. You're going to do, we're going to do what? But they saw opportunity over obstacle. We are so good at seeing obstacles, aren't we? Well, I'm sure that they would never want to just, I mean, go out to dinner. I'm sure that this person that I work with would never want to come over. Oh, they're really heavy into Greek life. I don't know if they would ever... We always see excuses. We always see obstacles when Jesus is just like, please just see the opportunities that I'm giving you. And if you're like, Stephen, yeah, I I totally get it. I just don't think I have been having many opportunities. Listen, I'm just going to be totally honest with you. As a pastor, I love you. I just want to tell you something. Please listen to me. Jesus is giving you opportunities. You're just not seeing them. I know because I've been blinded so many times by other things that are going on and selfishness and greed and all these things that I don't see the opportunities to bring people to Jesus. And you're like, Stephen, are you talking about like evangelism or discipleship? Yes and yes. Bringing people to Jesus can be bringing them to him so they meet him and bringing them so that they can grow. It's all of the above. We have to get people to Jesus. We have to see opportunities over obstacles, and we have to think, sacrifice over selfishness. What did they sacrifice that day? They were sacrificing their resources, their time, their energy, their passion. Now, let me ask you this. They decided to break open a roof, and if you don't know what this looked like in the first century, it probably would have been like a flat, thatched roof where you could also spend some time up there. Whatever kind of roof it was, do you think it might have taken a little bit of money to repair the cost well I don't know if we should break the roof that that somebody might get angry somebody might get upset and you know it's going to cost a lot to repair that they were just like I don't care we have to get him to Jesus we have to he has no other hope you know why because the four of them before had no other hope they had seen Jesus they knew Jesus they knew to get him Let me just ask you, are you being generous with your resources, your time, your energy, your passion, your gifts, your money, all of the above, to bring people to Jesus? Some of you already are like, "Ah, that's not for me. That's too radical. Just hang with me. I want to encourage you. It's for everyone. We have to see obstacles as just being <laughs> over, being able to overcome them. We have to see opportunities over obstacles. We have to think, sacrifice over selfishness, especially with our resources. And we have to act with a sense of urgency over delay. Any other fellow procrastinators? Hey, I'll just, I'll get around to that. Hey, I thought you said one time that you were going to, you, you were going to start a city group. Yeah, it's just not the right time. 
It's just not the right time. Hey, I thought you said you were going to jump into this study. Yeah, yeah, I'll probably, I'll pick that up in the fall. I'll pick that up in the spring. I'll just, hey, I thought you were going to, yeah, I just didn't get around to it. We have to act with a sense of urgency. Jesus was there. Listen, I just want to encourage you, no matter who you are in here, God is working around you in people's hearts so that you can help them meet Jesus. He wants to use us. And listen, I have struggled my whole Christian life with, why in the world does he choose us? Anybody else? Like our lack of faithfulness, our lack of dedication, our lack of a sense of urgency. Why does he choose us? I don't know. But that's what he did. Do you have the courage to meet the demands of reality? The faithful four. Let me ask you this. The faithful four. Who's your together? Well, Hill City. Together we love God, we love others, we make disciples of Jesus Christ. Who no, who no, no. Who's your together? Who are the three people that you call and be like, hey, I got a crazy idea. We're gonna do what? We're gonna break open a roof and let some guy down to Jesus. Yeah. Who are the people in Hill City? And they might be out. They might you might have friends in other churches and other places. Who are the friends that you call? Who are the people that you minister with that you're like, hey? we got to start praying for this person. We've got to start bringing them meals. We've got to start doing this. We've got, there's so many things we can do to hopefully so they can see Jesus. We've got to start praying for them. We've got to start speaking the word over their life. Who's your together? And who's your team? Some of you are like, well, I don't have anybody. A good book for you. If you, listen, if you have trouble making friends, if you have trouble going, hey, I'm going to, to find my people, there's a great book. Now, I know automatically that some of you guys, you look at the cover and you're like, that's a chick book. <laughs> and yes, she does appeal to ladies, but listen, I'm telling you, I wish you would have put camo on the cover because who needs it more, right? It's a great book about finding your people. Finding people that you can do life with, that you can speak truth into their life, and they can speak truth into your life. But more than that, people that you can minister with. Listen, just one small step. If you're somebody out there, especially you dudes, like, just hear me out. Can you at least just order it on Amazon and then be like, well, maybe I'll read it, maybe I won't. And then I'll just start praying for you. The Holy Spirit convicts you so much, you pick up the girly-looking book and you read it. <laughs> you got to find your people. She has this quote. It's just right. Or she has her fingerprint. She has a thumb right on our, our, our current culture. Our current world has been built on such radical independence. It will take deliberate intention to return to the kinds of relationships that God had in mind for us. Listen, I, baby steps. If you're somebody that you just come home every day and it's the same routine and you're not invested in other people's lives at all, or if you have no one investing in you, listen, can you just open up your heart, open up your mind to even just join in a city group? Even just getting involved here, doing something, taking a small step to saying, hey, I don't have anybody. Like if I wanted, if there was somebody I worked with or I went to school with or one of my neighbors and they wanted, they didn't know Jesus, I, I don't even know who I would call. And here's a big one. Those of you that were in the marriage seminar with, with Natalia and I, few months back, you'll recognize this. 
I told you the goal of your marriage has to be so much more than just, yeah, it's the two of us. And I told you, it's like two ticks and no dog. Just two people just sucking the blood out of each other. No source of life. And it's horrible. It's gross. It's like, yeah, it's the, the purpose of your marriage is just so that you can be happy. No, 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 no. You don't understand what God did. He took two people, brought them together, and made them a team so that they can minister even more effectively the gospel. And you just got to start thinking about your marriage like that, going, okay, well, we've already got two teammates. Who, who could our other two teammates be? Listen, I'll just tell you, I was just thinking about this. Some of you that know him will think it's funny. I thought, okay, if Natalia and I were doing this, who might we? I thought, Miles and Bailey Jackson. Some of you don't know him, but I guarantee you, logistically, I need Miles. And Bailey is so sweet that if something came up that I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so stupid. She would be so sweet. She would kill him with kindness. And I just thought, that might be our team. Like, if we had to go and let somebody in, and it's just like, do you have people that come to mind that you'd be like, we minister together? It's not just a city group so that we come and get our needs met. We're going to start reaching out. We're going to be a place where we encourage each other to bring people to Jesus. I hope if you don't have that, that today is a step towards that. Jesus' action And when he saw their faith, don't miss this. This is massive in the text. He saw their faith. He said what? He said to the paralytics, your sin, son, your sins are forgiven. Listen, when he woke up that day and then the four men came to him and said, hey, we got an idea. He's probably like, well, I got nothing better going on. Let's see what's going on. Let's see what's going to happen. The best thing about this, his expectations that day, the highest of his expectations were probably like, well, maybe I'll meet this Jesus guy and get healed. He had no idea it would be for eternity. You know? And so you start seeing, he saw their faith. So listen, this is big. Our faithfulness will directly affect the righteousness of others. Your faithfulness will directly affect the righteousness of others. I wholeheartedly believe that there are people that come into our lives that if we do not show them Jesus, they might not ever see him again. That's a sobering thought. That's a thought that should create urgency in our lives. Their faith, Jesus saw it, the four of them, and said, because you had faith to bring him to me, I'm going to heal him. And not only am I going to heal him physically, I'm going to heal him spiritually. He lives forever. And Some of you, I just want to touch real quick, faith. We hear this thrown out a lot in our day and time. Faith. Well, faith in what? Faith always has to have an object. Listen, whenever I said please be seated. You guys all sat down and you had faith that your chair was going to hold you. Silly illustration, but that was the object of your faith. Jesus is the object of our faith. You can't just have faith in faith. So many people today, well, I just, I'm a person of faith. Faith in what? Well, I have faith in faith. Okay, well then what's that faith in? It's faith in Jesus Christ and the best description in the Bible is in Romans chapter 4 talking about Abraham that he was fully persuaded. He was fully convinced that what God said would come true. That's faith. So when God says something, you just, I'll stand on it. I know it's going to happen. I know it's true. That's faith. 
being fully persuaded about faith. And Jesus is the object of our faith. Just walk out of here today knowing that our faithfulness will affect the righteousness of others. And think about this. The identity of the paralyzed man, the paralytic. Let me ask you this. What do you think his identity was in? Being paralyzed. He was just the guy that might sit out and beg. But his identity was in being paralyzed. Is that how God saw his identity? Listen, there are going to be people that like, you find your identity. Well, I'm just, I'm depressed. I'm bad at relationships. I've been divorced. I've been divorced twice. Like that's where people find their identity. And Jesus sees so much more than what we can place our identity in. He sees so much more. He doesn't want to just heal the natural. It's like, I just want Jesus because I need to fix my marriage. No, no, no. You need Jesus because he wants to turn you into a a mission-minded follower of Christ. He has so much more for us. He expected the healing, but he got the capital healing. He got the eternal life. Many times we want the healing lowercase without the healing uppercase. We want God to fix stuff in our lives. And as soon as he fixes them, we're like, okay, I'm good now. And we're still on the same path. Do you realize that all the people, when Lazarus, he raised him from the dead, guess what Lazarus did again? He died. All the people that Jesus healed, guess what? They were going to die. And just remember this. People that are born into this world naturally will die twice. They will die spiritually, physically, and then they will die spiritually. People that are born twice or what we sometimes call born again, people that are born twice only die once, and it's a physical death, and we're not scared of it. It's the second death being separated from God spiritually. He came and he healed him this day. The way that God viewed his identity was not physical depravity, but spiritual depravity. The reaction of the people. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God? And listen, I'm just going to tell you, this is a pretty good question. It's not the question that was wrong. It was the heart behind the question that was wrong. Because up until this point, how did their sins get forgiven? Once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and their sins would be forgiven. They would be covered and Jesus is like, no, it's, it's a new day. That's why I'm preaching the kingdom of heaven. It's a new day. The central issue for them, and it's a central issue, theological issue today, is Jesus God. Oh, he was a good teacher. I mean, like, I know historically he lived, and, you know, Christianity, it just kind of was a wildfire. That, that he, Jesus claimed to be God. And so many of you have heard it. C.S. Lewis a long time ago said, well, he's either a liar a lunatic, or he's Lord. It's one or the other. He's either just lying, he was crazy, or he's Lord. He was God, because he claimed to be. Jesus was God on earth. Whenever God comes to earth, it's in the physical person of Jesus Christ. This is the first of five conflict stories. So as the weeks come, you're going to see more conflict from the opposers. This is the first one that Mark puts in there. But there's four more coming in the, next, in the rest of chapter 2 and chapter 3. You're going to see more conflict. The opposition's growing to his authority. Jesus' next action is this in verses 8 through 11. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit, he knew what they were thinking. 
He said, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise up and walk? And this, he says this, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to give, forgive sins. Now, some of you that haven't ever studied this out, let me just tell you. What sounds like when we say son of God, okay, he's claimed that he's deity, that he's God. But you're son of man, he must be talking about his humanity. No, 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 no. That's not true. If you go through the Bible, son of man is also a reference to him being divine, to him being God. And him claiming that in front of them. They knew exactly what he was saying. It irritates them. They get upset. And he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed. And go. See, what we see is impossible. God sees, ah, that's simple. Like if you would have asked everybody, if you would have taken a poll that day at the door, said, hey, how possible is it for this guy who's paralyzed today to rise up and walk, to run like he's never run before? They would have been like, ah, that's impossible. And Jesus said, that's easy. Rise up and walk. You know why? Because he was God that had power over the supernatural world. Their reaction in verse 12, and he rose up immediately and picked up his bed and went out before them all. And remember the back pocket? Here it is. So that they were all amazed and glorified God. Listen, I want you to know this, and some of you know this is special. You know how we bring up a, a horse trough about once a month, every couple months, and we dunk a bunch of people, we baptize them? Not everybody's doing that. God, for some reason, has chosen Hill City to be a place where fruit is abundant. And we better rejoice. We better recognize it. We better be amazed because it doesn't happen everywhere. But for God, it's easy. Listen, I'm just telling you, if that doesn't excite you, I know there's some of you that you're like, man, they come up out of the water and they scream and they praise every time. I just don't get it. But yet, there's people that will go to a Chiefs game and they will go bonkers, crazy. Listen, I'm just going to tell you, Mahomes throwing a touchdown to Kelsey, it's not amazing. It's been done before. It'll be done again. He could throw the ball behind his back. Kelsey could kick it and catch it. And be like, ah, it'll be duplicated someday. Oh, I'm so amazed. Listen, I'm just telling you, you are a part of something that is amazing. And I hope that we collectively and individually, we glorify God for what he's doing here. It's amazing. What's our response? See, the four people that we had talked about earlier in this story, the crowd, mm, Listen, if you just, if you're a person that you just think, <clears throat> if your wife drags you along or your husband drags you along or friends invite you and you're like, I, I can't be honest and say I'm fully committed to, to this Jesus thing. <clears throat> As an observer that day, they would have seen miraculous things. Someone invited them. Their curiosity would have gotten them before Jesus. I pray that you would today. <coughs> excuse me. I pray that today that you would change from being just an observer in the crowd to one of the faithful four that says, I just want to bring people to Jesus. And some of you right now, I know your heart. You just think, I I don't know if I can make the leap. I don't know if I can fully surrender. 
I'm praying for you today. There's other people praying for you today that this would be the day that you fully surrender to Jesus Christ and you know salvation, you know peace and love and joy like you've never known it. And it might heal some stuff in your life today, but it's changing your life forever. If you're, if you're an opposer and you're in a skeptic, you're in the right place. Jesus never, ever, <laughs> he never, ever doesn't want to talk to a skeptic. He wants to invite you in, show you how he teaches, show you how he lives, and give you an ethic and a dogma that you can get behind. If you're a faithful four here this morning, I just want to encourage you. It's so fun doing ministry with you. It's so fun, so pleasant. Don't slow down. Pedal to the metal. Don't give up. Stay strong. And let's just see how many people we can bring to Christ. And listen, if today, for some reason, one of the crowd turns in, that would be amazing. Maybe there's somebody here today, you're like, I'm the paralyzed. I'm the paralytic. I need Jesus now. Like, I need people to bring me to Jesus. Listen, I'm just going to tell you, in a minute here, we're going to take communion. There's going to be a bunch of people walking down here to take communion. So you're not going to stand out. But we're going to have people down here that they, they just want to show you Jesus. They just want to talk to you about Jesus. They want to know you. They want to help you come to Jesus. Listen, if that's you and you know, listen, I need healing this morning, I know that I'm not going to spend eternity with God. I don't know him. I'm far from him. There are people down here that just want to talk to you, and I hope that you would do that. Our faithfulness will affect the righteousness of others. And listen, the main thought as you walk out of here today, what step can I take in my life to bring people to Jesus? So if you're serving communion, please go ahead, come down, get the station set up, and I want to pray over us. Father, we just, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for coming to this earth in the form of Jesus Christ. And Father, overcoming the sin that is so paralyzing to us that you overcame that. Father, you're so good to us, we just rejoice in your goodness. We're amazed at what you've done, what you're doing, and what you're going to do. Father, we glorify you because you are God. We hope and we pray, Father, that our reaction, our response to you, Father, would be indicative of what you deserve. Father, I pray that if anyone in here today just doesn't know you, that just has questions about you, that they would be so bold and so honest that they would come down and seek your face. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stand and begin to come to the table. <clears throat>